Welcome to our service once again, and let me get set up here. Um, yeah, so we are a, a church for college students, so uh, can you just uh, let me know, like, which schools here in Boston have started already? Did, um, did Harvard start? Is that? No, it has not. You guys are just here early. Uh, how about uh, Gordon? Have you guys started? Yes, this past week. School started this past week for you guys. Okay. Anybody else? Um, no, everyone. Brandeis. Oh, Brandeis started. Okay, yes, Aaron, of course, yeah. All right, and so, yeah, excited for you guys, a new school year, and um, again, hi to everyone watching online, uh, all the students from West Coast, Midwest, the great state of Texas, of course, they have to say the great state of Texas, and then uh, all the way to the East Coast. So, hi, everyone watching online, and of course, Brown University, so in Providence, watching. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, ex excited for a, a new school year, and uh, my name is Manny, and wanted to uh, jump right into the message series that uh, we'll be covering for the first few weeks of, this, of the semester, and it's a series that I've titled Upon This uh, Rock. So let me uh, show that. There we go. Upon This Rock, and um, it's taken from uh, a confession that one of Jesus' disciples have made, uh, that's Apostle Peter, and it's taken from this verse. Uh, Jesus, he's, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, and says, Simon Peter replied, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And so then Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So this is a stunning confession uh, on the part of Peter because Jesus says, who do you say that I am? There was a lot of different opinions about who they thought Jesus was, a miracle worker, just a great teacher, and so forth. And then Peter answers very clearly, no, this is how I understand you to be. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And then upon that rock, or upon that confession, I will build my church. So uh, I'm going to use this framework to cover the series of messages uh, on, on the gospel, because really it is a message about who Jesus is, and of course, it's a message about the gospel. So I uh, really thought that it's cool going through the statements and life of Peter in particular, because I think we could all relate to Peter, at least I can relate to Peter. I think he's an Enneagram 8 uh, maybe he's an Enneagram 3, wing 8, I don't know. So uh, he seems to be just a passionate, zealous guy, but sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth. Uh, sometimes he exhibits amazing uh, steps of faith, like he was walking on water. And then there are other times where his confession really clarifies things for all of his disciples. So that's why I chose Peter uh, to uh, go through uh, the gospel. So let's begin with the this passage from the beginning of Peter's life when he encounters Jesus, it says, on one occasion, this is from Luke chapter 5, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen 
had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay. Uh, very interesting first encounter with Jesus, uh, most likely, but probably they had t uh, seen Jesus before, but first significant encounter that Peter has with Jesus. And so going back to verse 1, it says, the context is that Jesus, it says, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him, hearing the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So that's where he's giving his sermon. If you want to know, I'm always curious about like, these geographical spaces whenever you read the Bible. So uh, how big is Lake Gennesareth? It's another name for the Sea of Galilee. So I looked it up. It's 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. So for those of you who really can't appreciate that distance, it's about the same size as Lake Tahoe in California. Those of you who've never been to California, you really should, and you should visit this place. Uh, it's this Lake Tahoe. One picture of it, uh, and it's that it's actually a, a, a huge lake, beautiful, wonderful. We'll take you there one day. So, uh, so this is Lake Gennesaret, or, or Sea of Galilee, as it's called. And it was famous throughout the Roman Empire, particularly for its fishing business, because the way it was situated, it had a river flowing through it. So here's a picture of that in modern day. And at this juncture, it had a lot of fish. Now, uh, it's interesting, going back to that passage, that as Jesus is preaching uh, at the lake of Gennesareth, we, we have a crowd, we have like a mob that's pressing in on him. And whenever I think of like a mob pressing in on somebody, I think, man, there must be something going on. Maybe that person has some kind of talent, you know, like those guys, uh, like those street performers uh, at boardwalks. They like, I don't know, they have a certain skill. Like I like that robot guy. Uh, if you've ever seen that person pretending to be a robot, and I think that's why people are pressing in on a, a particular individual. But it's interesting that the reason that they're pressing in on him, notice it says, to hear the Word of God. To hear the Word of God. In other words, to hear a message. But digging a little deeper, you realize that the significance of this is that they are attributing the words of Jesus, a teacher to the words of God. So we get kind of an advanced clue as to the identity of Jesus. Like, what, how do they perceive Jesus to be? Now, I said, going back, that this lake is particularly good for fishing. And it says that Peter and his friends were fishing on this lake. But on this particular occasion, 
it wasn't all that successful because we read in verse 5, and Simon answered, and that's Simon, Simon Peter, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So Peter, even though he's a seasoned fisherman, must have leveraged all his know-how, you know, his education and poured it into this trade of fishing, maybe even made a little Instagram account. I don't know, Peter's battered by the sea fish and chips. Okay, anyway, that was bad. I knew that was bad. Yeah, it was supposed to be a pun there. You battered by the seaweed. Okay, anyway, but uh, it says here on this night um, that he worked hard. He toiled all night, and he came up empty. And I just thought that that's a, a, a very characteristic, perhaps, of, like, I think it, that phrase encapsulates a, a, a picture of our experience of life. And I don't know if you've ever had such moments where, I don't know, you hear through the grapevine, go here and go there and pursue that opportunity and you will be super successful and you will be happy. Uh, and then you invest a good amount of time and then you come up empty. Like I remember my mom said, so many times I've had table talk conversations with my mom growing up and she would sit me by the table at night and she'd say, you know what I think about life? And, and then she would be pretty negative <laughs> in her view of life. And it was something like this. I toiled all night and I caught nothing because she came to America and there was a promise that she had uh, like received that it was the land of opportunity. And so she came, married my dad. We went to UCLA because my dad went to grad school there. And here's a picture of my parents. Um, if I can just get that there. Somehow it's frozen. There we go. There we go. Back in the day, long time ago. I won't say what year that is, but you can probably... No, it's actually a filter, you know? Like. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's... Uh, yeah, so she would... You know, I guess I was the oldest, and she would really kind of wax eloquent about life, and... And then she would also complain. Once she was 20 or 25 years in, um, worked at a dry cleaners like a lot of Korean Americans did at the time, six days a week. And after a couple of decades, she did express this sentiment. A master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Oh man, it just hasn't worked out for me. Poured out so much into the business, my employees quit ruined my health, and for this, I don't even have the house that I want. And so I think this expression really captures our experience of life, especially if you've lived life a little. Like you guys, I recognize it's a very young crowd, but I assume you came to Boston because of a, there's something that attracted you here. Maybe it was because it's a city that was the cradle of American freedom and patriotism. Okay, maybe not. Maybe it's just because it was a cool city. Maybe because of the education. Probably because of the education, right? Um, yeah, Boston is uh, synonymous with, like, having lived here a year myself, the knowledge economy, MIT, Harvard, serving as, like, this, these de facto incubators for, like, tech startups and top-flight hospitals, which end up fueling, like, the health uh, care sector. So, yeah, like, Boston is known for knowledge, education, and so you might have come here for that reason. And, but whatever reason... Whatever reason, imagine, project yourself four years from now or three years from now, however many years you plan on staying in college, okay? And think 
yeah, what if at the end of it, and I don't mean to be a downer, but let's just go with this expression. What if at the end of these four years, so to speak, that you've toiled and worked hard away in studio and in lab and all the homework sets and papers, and at the end of it, you didn't get the grades you wanted, or if you did, you found that what you thought could bring happiness was utterly unsatisfying. Could that be the case? Oh, it very well could be the case. Maybe you have already had such moments through various so-called limit experiences that you've saved up maybe uh, a, a summer of your income and you went to, I don't know, Italy because you thought that that was a romantic place and you went there, you rode the gondolas, you heard that guy play the ukulele on the gondola because he's like rowing that gondola, he's tone deaf it turns out, the water is dirty and you got your wallet stolen. You know, maybe you've had such a limit experience already. And then you realize that what else is there in life? I saved all of this for this experience and it didn't work out. So this idea of toiling all night and taking nothing, I think it is an apt metaphor for what we experience in life. And it's so tragic on the surface. But I think if a person ever reaches this point, um, it's precisely that kind of moment that opens up to this admission that Peter will say, will utter soon. But before I get there, maybe you can just share a little bit. What are your toiled and took nothing moments if you had such a moment already? Maybe it was in kindergarten. I don't know. Uh, why don't you share a minute and a half? Think about this. Uh, has there been such a moment where you tried really hard at something and then it's left you empty? Okay, let's do that. Okay, so now that we're kind of in that mode, maybe you've had such moment, maybe you haven't, probably varying degrees, right, of experiences and uh, would be really interested in knowing your background uh, personally to see if you've had such limit experiences uh, already at your young life. Um, as I said, it seems so tragic that we come upon this situation where you labor all all night at something or all four years or whatever it might be and taking nothing. But it turns out to be, ironically, 
one of the great blessings in Peter's life. And the reason for that is it opens up, as I said, this admission that Peter ends up uttering as a result of toiling all night and catching nothing. In verse 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's an astonishing, astonishing confession. Because it's admitting that in spite all of his efforts, he fell short. And he expresses it in this way, that I am a sinner. And I thought that that would be a very apt definition or one definition of sin. That is, falling short. We don't do something when we should have reached a certain limit. And it's not just in your attempts at work and life and in your relationships. I think if you can reflect over it, you will find that you have toiled all night and have fallen short to some degree. But, and in Peter's case, I think it would probably what he would have in mind is all being a Jewish man in a religious society, all the religious rituals that he did, going to prayer, worshiping God at the temple, sacrificing and doing good deeds, but then falling short of that. So, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That, that definition of sin as falling short, not just in terms of religious rituals, but attempting at things in life, but in, in Scripture, in the most fundamental sense, falling short in acknowledging that there is a God that all of us need to answer to. In other words, all our lives, I think it's fair to say that we've all had a default mindset where it says, this is my life. Of course, it is my life. Like, who, whose life would it be? It's my life, Manny's life. I'm the one in charge. I'm my own man. And I decide what's good and evil for me. I'm the one that's going to make those decisions. And it's that self-centeredness that the Bible says is at the core of all sin that ends up having consequences where those consequences visit upon each other and ourselves in terrible ways at times. But this default posture is so natural and so intuitive that it's hard to imagine living uh, in any other type of way. But the Bible says, no, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord, means fundamentally we have fallen short, not just morally, but in our acknowledgement of God as our creator and the authority that we need to answer to. So I think this is un perhaps unbeknownst to even Peter at the time a very profound confession. So the recognition that we are sinners, I think, is the first step to receiving the gospel. And I think often it's difficult to take this step that Peter made because we often navigate through life unaware that we've done anything wrong. I mean, if you're like me, grew up in a nice home, and I haven't done anything egregiously wrong, so then to say at that point that I am broken in some way, that I have fallen in some way, that's really hard for me to admit. And if you hear my testimony, that was one of the big, like, stuck points, like, to, for me to really 
embrace that. And I think I realize now it's because of many of these time-honored strategies that we employ to keep such uncomfortable truths, such as the fact that I'm a sinner at bay. You know, rationalization, blaming, victimization, being self-absorbed, just outright denial, being unreflective, and the list goes on and on. So then to arrive at this point require a certain level of pushing through all of those strategies and just seeing yourself at face value. And so this recognition of your life as falling short with God as the proper gauge is the first step of not only understanding the gospel, but actually because the gospel is the pathway to salvation, it is the first step toward salvation to admit that you are a sinner. So it's a blessing. It's a blessing, it turns out, that as Peter toiled all night and labored and then took nothing, that that created a moment in which he was able to utter this confession that, yes, I am frail, I am needy, and my attempt at being an autonomous individual was ultimately misguided and it has left me wanting. So, hopefully we will have such moments. Um, maybe not like a miraculous catch a fish moment where you go, wow, like that was incredible and I really reached my limit, but through some other situation. And so, what did this do for Peter? It enabled him to recognize his sinfulness and then recognize his limitations, and then he encounters these words from Jesus. Like you would expect like Jesus would say, okay, aha, I got you. You are frail. You are weak. And maybe chastise him, but that's not what Jesus says. Um, he says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So this idea that... Um, Jesus, who's not a fisherman, he gives advice to this expert fisherman. And he says, I know that it's been tough, but here, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put out into the deep waters, and then there you will find fish. And here I need to provide some context. I think in this particular place, during this time of the day, fishermen would never go out into the deep because that's not where the fish are, and I don't claim to be a fisherman. But uh, people say it's not where the deeps are, it's, it's in the shallows, because that's where they're hanging out, I'm assuming, presumably feeding. So Jesus is asking, in other words, to do the counterintuitive thing. Go to the deep waters, and I want you to put down your nets there. In other words, I understand you have a certain level of experience and you have a certain understanding of how the world works, but I want you to suspend that judgment. I want you to suspend that common sense. And I want you to follow me, Peter, because you've already tried. And I'm saying, do this. And here is Peter's amazing response. But at your word, I will let down your nets. At your word, I will let down your nets. This is what's called faith. It's not blindly believing in something, but following based on the reliability of Jesus' words. At your word, I will let down your nets. He's thinking, this is the wrong place. 
This is the wrong time, but because you say so, I will go. And again, just to qualify, this is not opposite day where you always do the counterintuitive impractical thing. I think if we all did that, it would not go well for any of us. You know, we do need to exercise our common sense. But, and of course, God is a God of common sense. He's, a, after all, the most rational being in the universe. But the larger point being that obeying God's word comes to us as counterintuitive. Often. Because we're sinners and we're, we're, we have a certain view of, of how life should go. And God enters into that picture and says, no, you need to do it this way. And so to submit to God, to obey God's words, that's hard for sinners to, to do. And I think it's because particularly, um, particularly now, as we live in an era where obeying someone... Uh, any authority for that matter, much less God, goes against how I think we've all been culturally primed, which is to favor the individual preferences and aesthetics and where kind of like images that get conjured up when you think about obeying authority is that terrible middle school teacher you had, you know, who is overly strict and who punished you for some capricious reason. And, and so you, like that, frame suddenly pops into your mind when you think of authority. And so he's like, I'm not going to listen to anybody. And certainly I'm not going to listen to any bad authority figures who've been objectively, let's say, even abusive. So to get all of that out of your mind and go against the cultural ethos of just trusting in yourself then and in your own judgment and in your own common sense does require a uh, a kind of suspension of the sort that we see Peter doing here when he says, but at your word, at your word, Lord, I will let down your nets, the nets. Um, in, in the book, uh, The Last Word, there's an atheist philosopher uh, named um, Thomas Nagel, and he says, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief, it's that I hope that there is no God. He, made, he actually made this admission that this is why I'm not Christian. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I certainly don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want this... I, I don't want to come to the conclusion that there is this cosmic authority. And so he called it the cosmic authority problem. Well, uh, related to that, he said in today's age that there is a cultural authority problem, which I just went through, and for good reason a lot of institutions and authorities have let us down. So I don't think that, that uh, unqualified trust is, is something that we're willing to give anymore. But still, uh, it does not mean that all authority is, is bad, and for, and for good reason, because we still place trust in these institutions, even as we have all those examples not to. So today, however, it's evolved into a cultural authority problem. So, going back to God, uh, to reject all authority, the tragedy would be that we would reject the one legitimate authority, which is God our creator. Notice what Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says. So God created man in his own image. So there we have the legitimate authority as our creator. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, and God blessed them. So 
He's for us. He wants us to be fruitful in our life. He's not against us. And so going back to the very first pages of the Bible, it says, and God blessed them. And this is his intent that's expressed by God. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He has a task for us and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the Bible is saying you have a creator who's created you to whom you are ultimately accountable. And when you trust in him and in his words, um, it will lead to greater freedom later, greater blessing later, like piano teacher teaching you scales. I don't want to do the scales. I don't know if you've ever done that. Uh, And then you realize, wow, I should have done those scales because when you did it, it led to greater freedom later, right? Like you could actually play the piano. So God desires that we are fruitful. He has a clear work for us. So the gospel message is that true life springs from this first step. As I said earlier, recognizing your own limitation, the futility of your own personal striving, and trusting in Jesus' words because they are God's words who is our creator and has our best interest in mind. So have you ever experienced this? Not just the limit moment, but the moment where you then said, I recognize that and now I've come to an awareness of God and who he is and what his plan for my life is and then to place your trust in him. So um, it doesn't have to be necessarily your salvation story, but some moment where it seemed counterintuitive to you and said, oh my, like, I think I need to trust God in this area of my life. So maybe we could, have, again, have a minute and a half to just share about whether or not you've had such a moment. So let's do that. Okay. All right. So maybe it, you know, that experience took the form of, yeah, share the gospel with that person on campus. I know you're busy, but that person is right there. And then you ended up sharing the gospel and wow, like that person crossed that line of faith. I don't know what that example for you is, but 
What is true is that trusting in God's Word will seem counterintuitive. And so let's not simply place confidence in our own experience, because when you do, you're, the range of what you attempt, I mean, it's going to be very limited. And even in what you attempt, you might toil all night and end up empty to begin with, to end with. So recognizing our perspective is limited, that there's so much more that I don't know, I think is a key to wisdom. And Jesus says, leave the shallow waters and go into the deep waters. And in many ways, it's a metaphor. Go into the deep waters with me, trust in me and in my words and be willing to obey and follow. And so that is Jesus' invitation to Peter and to anyone who reads this story and notice what happens when he does that. In verse 6, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The size of the catch is extraordinary. So much so that Peter realizes that this is a supernatural event. The nets are breaking. He calls for help. The other boat comes. And now both boats are sinking. And then it immediately, the, again, the first words out of his mouth is, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord. I want to emphasize that word. Oh, Lord. Peter calls Jesus, oh, Lord. And in that one statement, I think you can impart many thoughts. I've made a poor Lord, quote, unquote, over my life. When I took the reins of my own life, I've fallen short, I've made a mess of my life, so on and so forth. I've been presumptuous to think that I can live life on my own. Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Like, it's that confession. So we all need to get to this point. Some of you already have. But I think it's just the beginning, even if you're a Christian. Because it's been my experience in my walk with God that we need to utter this confession regularly over time. And it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. I think you do it because the fact that you and I are sinners lose resonance over time because fundamentally there is a self-serving bias where we are very generous to ourselves. And I think one of the tragic flaws of humanity is our inability to appreciate to the depth, how fallen and broken we actually are, which is why it took such a moment for Peter, for a, for a religious guy to finally see who he is and who God is and say, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And so for us, maybe it does not take something so miraculous, like, or at least visually miraculous, like a like all these fish, like a great haul of fish in deep waters. But maybe it's those moments, ironically, similarly, when God blesses you and I. With a, not a miraculous catch of fish, but something else. When you took a step of faith to obey Him. At God's prompting. Like I said earlier, like you had this prompting in your heart. I know you have a midterm. <laughs> Go and share the gospel with that person. And then God blessed you. God used you to lead someone to Christ. And instead of letting that get to your head, you say, praise the Lord. How did that happen? You know who I am, Lord. 
I am a sinner, and you use me in that way. Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. Or when you made a decision, I don't know, to participate in a youth project, serving the middle schoolers or high schoolers in your city or something like that, and you could have spent that summer on an internship, but you decided at your word, O Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go into deep waters. I'm going to trust you. And when you did, your life was enriched because who you did it with your relational world got expanded and enriched and got deeper, and you had a chance to bless these younger ones who are a little bit behind you and mentor them and love them and lead them to the gospel. And so it's ironically those experiences that tend to lead to this awareness. I am a sinner. Like, isn't that interesting that it's those blessing moments where you trust God, and then there's a sudden awareness that I'm not good enough. Like, how did you use me? And the depth of that sin suddenly gets revealed in that moment or in such moments, and then you end up placing your faith in greater ways so that you follow God into deep waters, into the future, wherever God leads you, and then you experience God's provision. So we must continue to affirm with our words and actions. You are Lord and I am a sinner, and this is the key to receiving the gospel. And so the gospel says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, um, this famous passage that we've been saved through faith, like what we exhibit, we see here in Peter's story, is not of your own doing, so that no one may boast. And then we are saved because he has created in Christ Jesus good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It, uh, that's counterintuitive to me, that he would use a sinner. As soon as you admit that you're a sinner, and he goes, great. You know that you're a sinner now. I've forgiven you through the cross of Jesus. Now go. I have some work for you to do. Like that is counterintuitive. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does with Peter in verse 10. He says, after this confession, Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Let down your nets. From now on, you will be catching men. I have a glorious purpose for you. You don't have to go on your Instagram account and update your battered by the sea fish, whatever, and chips, you're going to be doing something way more glorious. You're going to be catching men. Because the good news of the gospel is this. At the core of it, it's not like you're so bad, but it's redemptive because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sin. And I think ultimately that is the deepest water that God is leading us to. No matter how you have messed up in your life. God is offering His words to trust in Him, His offer of salvation, and He says He accepts our confession, and He has died on the cross for our sins, that we will be saved, not by works so that no one can go boast, but by His grace. And then He turns around and takes sinners like us and commissions us to do, to do the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. And so, on this, the best fishing day ever for Peter, they leave everything, they leave their boats, their nets, and they follow Jesus. 
and he sets out on this amazing adventure and a journey full of excitement and radical abandon, leaving his business, and he became an amazing catcher of men, been the source of blessing for many. Upon that confession, upon this rock, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that confession, God says, I will build my church. And he becomes the pillar of the church. So this is a rich text, a lot of points to apply here. And so I would urge you to try this story on in your life. See what it says about your labor. See what it says about where it has brought you and your striving. Think about uttering this grand confession that Peter did. And then think of the tremendous possibilities that as we move from shallow waters where we live currently, based on our own intuition or experience, we can trust God into deeper waters and then he ends up not only saving us but commissioning us as a fisher of men. May that be each of our destinies. Uh, let's share just a minute or so from today's message and just apply it to yourself. One phrase, one phrase from Peter's uh, just words throughout this text that struck you. Okay, so let's do that. Okay, as the band comes up and uh, we'll have an opportunity before we sing, uh, let's just pray um, and maybe in this prayer we can utter a confession that's similar to Peter's. Uh, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Maybe that's the confession you need to make. Um, maybe it is preceded by, Master, I've toiled all night and caught nothing. In what ways is that true of you? Um, maybe maybe uh, as you recognize uh, your own limitations, um, God is speaking to you to trust His words, to go out into deep waters in faith and 
follow me, especially at the beginning of a new school year. There's some work that he's prepared for you to do. Um, for those of you who are not Christian here, I encourage you to think about um, the crowd gathered around Jesus uh, along this lake and listening. Why? Like, why are they gathered? Listening to the Word of God. Wow. Like, that is a statement about who Jesus is. And, and so maybe this is the beginning of a journey for you to find out whether or not Jesus is who He says He is. And maybe this could be an opening prayer. Oh, reveal yourself to me. Um, and it's now a commitment on your part to make a decision to seek um, investigate what this is all about this semester. So wherever you are, let's take a moment to pray before we sing our last song.